After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! 
and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome i hope you all had a great christmas coming up on today's show i'll give you my pick for fight of the year crazy sean strickland has some things to say and i believe that next month's heavyweight title fight is going to be the biggest ever that's all coming up later but first i want to begin with this Colby Covington is in this weird purgatory right now. It, it really is a little bit of a complicated spot, unlike any other that I could say any other athlete is going through. Look, here's what's up with Colby. Colby can't speak without Kamara Usman's name coming out of his mouth. Now, putting a puzzle together that leads Colby back to Kamara is tough. But putting a puzzle together that leads Colby to Kamara next is impossible. You're wasting your time. You don't have the pieces. Stop. So when Colby's out doing interviews and he's great at him and he's happy to go and do them, but when he's only building a fight that isn't going to happen next, look, if there's anything that happened in Madison Square Garden between Colby and Kamara is we found out as the audience we have the right two guys. We have the best guy in the world and we have the second baddest dude in the world. That's what we found out. Now, Colby's next fight, for sure, if you beat him, you become the number one contender. There is nobody that can beat Colby Covington right now that doesn't automatically become the number one contender. It's just not feasible. So now we know what Colby's bringing to the table. Even on accident, Colby's bringing a number one contendership, but it's not a semifinal. It's not if Colby wins, he gets to fight for the belt. It's only if Colby loses, that opponent gets to go and fight for the belt. So what the hell are you going to do for chaos? What are you going to do for him? There was a time I could have got you that fight with Colby. One phone call, no problem. He wanted to compete. Those times are behind. He's had a lot of matches. There was times where he needed to compete. It was his job. He was counting up for the finances. Those days are behind him. So what does he want and what does he get? Now that's for you to figure out. If you really want to be in there with Colby, you got to figure out how to scratch his back. You got to figure out how to back him in a corner. He is an animal. And if you corner him, he will come out fighting. But it's hard to get under his skin. It's very hard to insult him. You're not going to hurt his feelings. But he's got an ego like anybody. And if you truly want to fight him, you're going to have to figure those pieces out. It's a very interesting spot, though. Nobody offers as much to Colby as Colby can offer to you. And Colby does have his sight, so he wants to fight Kamara. We can't do that. We just can't make that bridge right now. Colby wants to fight Masvidal. That works all day long. Masvidal's on the injured list. Colby can take the same story that applies to Masvidal and stick it up Poirier's ass. No problem. Poirier hasn't said he's going to the weight class. Do you see where Colby's stuck? Do you see where he's just on this island? Do you see where it gets a little bit hard to get to him right now? Or to even encourage or motivate him to go and do something? Because you, you got to understand the pieces. you got to be an intelligent guy. I want to just call Colby up blindly. Uh, let's go get a fight. Hey, somebody somebody put this on me, Colby, and they think I can put this together. Right now, i got to come to him with a reason. I don't want to go look like a fool. And neither will his manager, neither will his coaches, neither will his other sphere of influence. They've got to come in and they've got to be able to satisfy something. What does this opponent mean? What is this for? What is this about? Colby made it very clear what Masvidal was about. Vengeance. We got it. And the same thing goes with Poirier. This is a personal grudge teammate, right? It works. What are you going to do? And this isn't the only situation we're seeing this in. Here's the checks and balances of MMA, okay? Because as you start to understand Colby's spot, you'll understand Conor McGregor's spot. 
And the checks and balances of the sport is you. You will hear many times, well, this is a business. Dana's going to do whatever's best for business. You will hear that, but there's very few examples where you can give me where that actually became the final decision. You, who Dana listens to, his customers, you, generally, broad stroke, put the top guy against the champion. You generally assess everybody, you see the field, you know the fight that you want to see, but it's the hardest fight you could possibly make. So everything just moves along smoothly. Every now and then there's a time where that runs into a hiccup. I mean, look, I could just do it. I'll play this game, but I'll do it in the world of boxing right now. I want to see Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. To hell with the other guy. Who's the champion? Who deserves it? Who contractually has the right? To hell with him. We'll get to him. We'll give him his opportunity. But the time is right and the time is running out and we got to get Fury and we got to get Joshua in there together. And the story is starting to uncrumble. It's starting to unravel. So we're going to go ahead and just do the damn thing. Well, that is how I feel. That's what's in my heart. If I had a magic wand to wave over the boxing division, that's the fight that I'm going to make. But have I showed any responsibility in doing that? Have I showed an integrity to the sport by doing that? Have I shown a fairness in doing that? No. And every now and then, and you guys can relate to it too, every now and then we don't. We're not going to be fair. We're not even going to be nice about it. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. And what I want is bigger than everything else. So I have the old argument on my side that this is business after all. This is best for business. And sometimes you're right. How does that pertain to Conor McGregor? Well, there's a story going around. I don't believe it. I'm very short on this, but I'll discuss it with you. That Conor McGregor is going to return right into a title fight with Charles Oliveira. To support that story is a guy who has a say in this called Charles Oliveira. Charles said, Justin Gaethje, you've done everything right and it's no disrespect, but step aside, I'm getting my red panty night. Okay, well, we have to listen. He's a champion of the world. We don't want to disrespect Justin Gaethje, but put that on hold. Oliveira gets to do what's best for him, and he's made it very clear that he will push the number one contender aside, whoever the hell it is. It happens to be Justin Gaethje, but whoever it is, he will push them aside if it means red panty night against Conor McGregor. So, Daniel Cormier happens to be interviewed. He's having a discussion. Should I call it an interview? Is Daniel an interviewer now? He's at least having a discussion with Dana White, and that topic came up, and Dana absolutely was not committing it. Yeah, that's the direction we're going to go, and we would make that fight. But Dana did say something on behalf of Conor McGregor, which is stop, stop right there, Daniel, and everybody else that thinks Conor should not be able to fight Oliveira. Connor, from the beginning of time, has been willing to fight anybody anytime we've needed him to. So if Connor's going to come in and ask for one, I'm going to listen to him. The end. Now, you may like that and you may not like that, but Dana has spoken. Well, we got a clue. That's a clue for us. Oliveira wants it. We don't know. We don't know for sure if Connor does. Because we don't know when Connor's going to be back. We don't know what weight class Connor's going to come back at. Connor was pretty bullish for a while there. It's Poirier or bust, but it looks like he changed his mind just a little bit, that he's open to different ideas. And I don't submit for you that that is best for business, by the way. I don't agree. If you're a checkers player, yes, you, you, you will knock me off the board. Oliveira versus McGregor, anybody versus McGregor, is a bigger fight than Oliveira versus Gaethje, which is a huge fight. By the way, Oliveira and Gaethje, I can't wait for that one, and I think that you guys can relate to that. I also don't know who's going to win it, which makes the story all that much better. 
Conor McGregor is still the biggest draw in the sport. Whoever you put opposite of him is going to be bigger than any other fight that you want to offer me. And I have numbers and box office receipts to prove what I just said about Conor and his ability to draw. I still think it's a checkers move. I think if Conor's not back for eight months in a best-case scenario and 10 months in a more realistic scenario, let's just split the difference and call it nine months, August of next year, I think you put Poirier and Gaethje in there and you let the winner go on and fight Conor McGregor. I don't think that Conor has to be in there with Oliveira. Conor can be in there with Gaethje. I don't think it makes a damn bit of difference other than you're going to build one of those guys, thus building the entire fight. So I just don't agree. I don't agree that it's business as usual and Conor's getting a favor and to hell with everything else and the integrity of the sport. I don't. I think that Dana makes a very fair point. You say this guy has fought anybody. He would have fought Oliveira along the way, whether Oliveira had the belt or not. He'd have fought Gaethje any time along the way, whether he had the belt or not. It's not about the championship fight. It's not about skipping the line. And I haven't made my decision. I don't even know if this is on the table. This is Dana talking, but I'm not going to dismiss it either. That's fair to me. That made sense when Dana said it. Did you guys feel the same way? It made sense when Dana said it like that. I'm light on the idea. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Gaethje is going to fight Oliveira. I think it's going to be huge. I think whoever comes out of that is likely to be fighter of the year and what's likely to be fight of the year. And it's going to draw right into somebody. But make no mistake. And if this whole thing is about crying in your beer for Justin Gaethje, if Justin Gaethje was here right now and he was to tell the truth or say, okay, Justin, you're going to go out and fight Oliveira and you're going to pick who you fight next. Make no mistake, he's going to say Conor McGregor. If you go, well, wait just a second. What about Islam? What about Benny? What about some of these other guys that have more wins? Gaethje's going to say, you handed me the power. You asked me who I want. I'll fight those guys. No problem. Give me Conor first. So we can't feel bad if it happens to Justin. This is a mythical world anyway. This isn't going to happen. Justin's going to be fighting Oliver. This is a mythical world. But if we're, going to, if we're going to debate this all the way through, we don't get to feel bad for somebody who would openly admit to you that if he had the power, he would do the same thing and shove it up their ass. So it's just one of these spots, right? It's one of these weird spots where this whole thing's going to play out. You guys who have the power in your mass numbers generally are perfect checks and balance. Generally, you want what is the right fight to make. Generally, based on skills, based on performance, you do a great job of identifying who is the number one contender and you put them in there with the champion. Generally. Every now and then you get a little touch of what I got inside me. As it pertains, if I had a wand and I could just carve Uskla, Ols, Ola, what, whoever that boxer is, right out of the equation and put Fury versus Joshua, if I'm being honest, I would do it. Going back to the welterweight division, let's talk about another one of the most talked about guys at 170 pounds and what the year 2022 could possibly hold in store for him. Hazmat Chemayev, guys, different weeks, similar conversation, which is, what are we missing? What are we missing here? The entire marketing of Hazmat Chemayev, what I believe to be the greatest experiment ever, happened on accident which was just a quick turnaround. It was two different weight classes. Two fights in eight days is what kicked this whole thing off. Bounces up a weight, comes right back down, wants to get right back in there, and was doing it, was scheduled to do it. If you guys will remember back, he ends up getting hit with COVID, but he was scheduled to take on Leon, which is going to be a ranking match. Leon was ranked number three at the time. It's going to be a main event, so that put him in a five-round contest. I mean, the market and the plan 
stayed intact until all of a sudden one day it's gone. Now, Chemayev, in all fairness, outgrew the market and he didn't need that anymore. That's what he was running off of and it was a quick run. He doesn't need that now. He's a sensation. But what are we missing? Because while I tell you the question of, of remains, the narrative has changed. The narrative two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and five weeks ago was nobody will fight him at 170 pounds. That's not true now. That is not true. Jeff Neal has offered his services. Blahal Muhammad has not only offered his services, he doubled down with a surprise performance. I mean, the way he performed against Wonderboy, the victory, those guys could beat each other. The way that Bahal performed and used that platform to do one and one thing only, which was to get in the wheelhouse of Hazmat Chamayev, you just can't say it anymore. And of course, we've got Neil Magny. This is just off the top of my head. Colby Covington didn't flinch when they asked him about Hazmat Chamayev. So the narrative has changed. That's all I suggest for you. We're still stuck with what the hell are we missing? You guys want to hear something interesting? Sean Strickland. You guys know what a believer I am in, in crazy Sean Strickland, right? Sean Strickland did an interview. And it, it was at his gym. Practice had just finished. He's sweating. His shirt's off. You got the mats and the workout equipment in the background. And he talked about training with Hosmet. And Sean was just very open and candid, which is the only way Sean Strickland knows how to speak. Sean Strickland can't, can't tell a lie, even when he should. He's just this truthful guy. Something really endearing and likable about crazy Sean Strickland. But he said, look, I'm friends with Neil Magnin. I've trained with him. I, I think he said he trained with Blahal Muhammad. And then he talked about sparring with Hazmat. So when Hazmat and I spar, we don't spar. We fight. And we fight for the world championship. Now, I knew this. I knew this because I have people that have watched those two spar. But I can't talk to you guys about that. What happens in the practice room stays in the practice room. That's a true story. And if you're the one to break the code or you think I got a story so big, you, you're no longer in the club. You will not be welcome in training sessions. Really. This is something we take very serious. What you see in practice stays there for life. For life. But when one of the guys brings it out, it becomes fair game. And it does make me think, you know, such great memories when I was at Team Quest. You guys remember the legendary Team Quest? I had such great memories, but I also come to you with one regret. And the, the world was a different time back then. Team Quest, we started in 2000, and we started as a wrestling gym, by the way. By 2001, when the Olympic cycle is over, we're now doing MMA, but we're not advertising. We don't have coaches and set structure. We got some tough guys, one mat, and we agree to come in every single day at 3 o'clock. As simple as that formula is, we went and won world championships with it. So now 2004 and 2006 are rolling around. We're winning more world championships with it. And my one big regret on Team Quest, it just had to do with what Sean was talking about. Him, Sean, and Hazmat Chemaev. Could I get you to stop what you're doing and watch those two spar? If I had that video and I told you I was going to post it and I, I clickbaited you, wouldn't you stop what you're doing and that's the very first jail video you would have clicked on? Could we agree on that? That would be interesting. Wow, how did that go? Did it start on their feet? Did it stay on his feet? Could Hazmat shake him down as easy as he takes everybody else down? If he couldn't, can Hazmat kickbox with the great Sean Strickland? Like, it's really compelling. I will tell you, I've seen, I have seen matches. And when I tell you the world was a different time, what I'm talking about is cameras. Now we've all got a camera. I'm looking at one right now and I can put my hand down here, pull up my iPhone and I got another great camera. Everybody's got a camera. But back then it wasn't the case. And what I have one big regret about Team Quest is that I didn't document any of this stuff. And I really wish I would have. Randy Couture was the heavyweight champion of the world. 
but so was Rico Rodriguez, and Rico came through the gym, and so was Josh Barnett, and Josh came through the gym. So was Tim Sylvia, and Tim Sylvia came through the gym. Don Fry was a big star, not only within the UFC, but in Pride, and John came through the gym. So I've watched all these guys go. Pay-per-views that you'd want to see. Main eventers, I saw them with my own eyes. Evan Tanner was the... Here, get a load of this, guys. Evan Tanner, rest his soul, was the middleweight champion of the world. He was the UFC champion. He had the belt. But Matt Lindland was ranked number one. They were workout partners. Every single day they trained. Meanwhile, Dan Henderson was the pride champion. Also in the room. The official number one contender was Nate Quarry. Also in the room. And then you got an up-and-comer that can ruin everybody's day by the name of Chris Lieben. And then you have the guy who turned out to be the most durable of us all in Ed Herman. Then you got Matt Horwich that was the IFL champion. You've got myself in the mix. I mean, just an off. Josh Haynes starts coming in. He makes it to the finals of the Ultimate Fighter. This was just one weight class. And that's before we have guests coming in the room. The Yushinokamis and the Brian Stans of the world. So when I tell you the matches that I have seen, who would have won between Evan Tanner and Matt Lindland? I can tell you who could win between Dan Henderson, the Pride champion at the time, versus Evan Tanner. I saw all these things. And we all took it for granted. None of us thought anybody was a cool guy or a famous guy or a popular guy or was going to go on to have a good life. Nah, we were just working out at 3 o'clock. We didn't know any other game to play. We had our goals and we had our dreams, but not like they are now because the sport isn't like it is now. We were trying to stay fit. We are saying hello to each other. We liked one another. It was kind of our, our social event of the day. I only bring that to you because we took it so much for granted and now these other stories are coming out. Sean Strickland versus Chemayev is today's topic. But that's fascinating stuff, and I love that Sean Strickland stroke, spoke about it. Sean didn't break any rules. He didn't say who won, who did better. He just talked about the intensity and the mindset. Sean was well within his limits to do that. But it does make me think. It made me reminisce. It, it made me go back to different times. Jeff Munson was the Abu Dhabi champion. Dennis Hallman's training for world championships. I mean, the guys and the people that we had come through Team Quest, the stories that I know that I've never spoke to you guys about, and I can't. The things that I witnessed that were never documented by me or anybody else, they're gone. They're gone forever. I'll give you guys one. Here's another one that's fair game because Tim Sylvia is a principal in it, and Tim spoke about it. Tim Sylvia came out to town. He was the heavyweight champion of the world. He was training with Randy. And Randy was retired. But Randy was in great shape, and he was doing it. It wasn't called a triathlon. It was called something else, the Fiji Challenge, or some kind of a challenge, but it was taking place in, in Fiji. Whatever it was, Randy was still in really great shape, not to mention he owned the gym. He was managing and coaching. He was in there every day. So a number of guys wanted to come out to train with Randy, and Tim was one of these guys. So when Randy decides to come out of retirement, his very first bite back is Tim Sylvia who Randy was mentoring, he was coaching, he was working with, Tim was living at Randy's house, all these different things. It was a little bit awkward, but Tim had to speak on this. He had to. Hey, you guys have trained together. What happened there? Tim had to speak on it. He had no choice. And Tim said, you want to know what happened? Randy got the best of me, but I let him. I respected him. I was staying at his house. I was in his gym with his people. I let him. And you know what? Tim told the truth. I watched those workouts. 100% Randy did edge him. Every go, every time. And 100% Tim let him. That is true. Which is what made the fight so goddamn compelling. I watched those two. I looked up, true story, I looked up the nearest hospital before the fight so that I could send Randy flowers. Because Tim was telling the truth. He went light on him. What we found out in that contest 
is the Natch was doing a little gamesmanship too. The Natch wasn't going to his full ability. So you have some of this. I have no point to this, guys. I'm just sharing something with you. Sean Strickland broke out a training room story with Hazmat Chemaev. I thought it was awesome. I love those looks inside. And we ought to be able to talk about them in all fairness. There ought to be a moratorium on them, if nothing else. Some of the matches that I'm telling you, Dan Henderson uh, versus Matt Lindland, Chris Lieben versus Evan Tanner, this was 20 years ago. There should be a moratorium. There's just not. I don't make the rules. I just have to follow. I think we need to change the code up a little bit. And the one and only reason that that exists is because people aren't at their best in practice. They're not fighting in practice. They're not performing and they're not competing. They're practicing. So if you have a five-minute go and you're attempting to judge who got the best of who and that story is going to get out and a guy's reputation, ranking, and or ego is going to be affected, it's not fair. It is not conducive to a good practice room. It would crush morality, not to mention it would be inaccurate. The example of Randy versus Tim Sylvia would just show you it can be very inaccurate. It's not what you want. And all because of that and the fragile little egos of fighters, but the damage that can be done when these stories start to leak out and a misconception of what happened in that five-minute frame, we don't do it. We don't talk about it. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I had this video to support. I wouldn't show you the whole round. I'd still follow the rule if I had the video. I'd break it down. I'd give you two minutes. I'd give you a highlight. I'd give you a scramble. But I would show you some of the biggest names going against each other, and we see it every single day. It's going on every single day. It just happens to be in the training room as opposed to competition, and Sean gave us a little bit of a glimpse in it. Makes me think about Chemayev as well, by the way. We've only got one clue on Chemayev, which is he's going to go in and settle in at 170 pounds. The experiment of getting him in there as quickly as possible and bouncing him from two weight classes is behind us. But who he's going to fight? The narrative's changed. You don't get to say nobody will fight him. That's not true. Unless you're calling Bahal and Jeff and Neil Magny, unless you're calling these guys nobodies, and I don't think that you are. But we're still left with what in the hell is going on. Coming up in a moment, I'll look ahead to a fight that I truly believe will be one of the biggest fights of all time. But before we do that, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. There are alternatives for everything these days. Meat, dairy products, sweeteners. But where are the high quality tobacco alternatives? I enjoy chewing tobacco. I was recently introduced to Black Buffalo, a nicotine chew product made with hout tobacco. I was skeptical at first. But I gave it a try. Black Buffalo, to my surprise, gave me the same experience. Same texture, same nicotine, all without the tobacco leaves. If you are 21 or older and you currently dip or chew tobacco, maybe pouches or long cut, I highly recommend you try this tobacco alternative. Black Buffalo is everything you love about dipping, including pharmaceutical grade nicotine, just without the actual tobacco leaf or stem. The dip itself is made from edible green leaves and food grade ingredients with the same flavors, texture, aroma, moistness, and nicotine that traditional tobacco chew products offer. Black Buffalo did not compromise. If you're into flavors, they produce a variety like wintergreen, mint, peach, which is my favorite, and even blood orange. It's available in both long cut and pouches. I'm a pouches guy as well as nicotine-free versions called Zero. So if you just get comfort from the feeling of chewing, you can go for the Zero version. I love supporting US-based companies. 
This company was born in the Midwest and raised in the South. Black Buffalo proudly manufactures all of their products right here in the U.S. of A. I used to use traditional chewing tobacco until I found Black Buffalo. I'm glad there's finally a high quality, supreme tasting alternative to chewing tobacco. This product has changed my life. Try it guys, I did. It's my new brand. If you are one of the over 10 million people who are 21 or over and dip tobacco, consider making the switch to Black Buffalo. It's everything you love about dipping, just without the actual tobacco leaf or stem. Head to blackbuffalo.com and use promo code CHAIL at checkout for 25% off your first order. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code CHAIL for 25% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code CHAIL for 25% off your order. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Francis Ngannou, guys, I know I'm a broken record, and I'm only going to make you hear this today and probably three more times. Probably three more times, and I'll have it out of my system and realize that I've hedged my bets and I've made it clear, all right? I used to stick my nose in Francis's business. I met Francis. I try not to put my nose in his business anymore. But what do you want me to do? It's the heavyweight champion of the world. I believe by the time Francis gets in there with Gone, I think when this promotion is done, I think when we get excited, when we all get told this story over these next three weeks, I think it's going to be the biggest heavyweight fight of all time. Not the biggest fight of all time. It's not going to beat UFC 100. It's not going to beat a Conor McGregor. I think it's going to be the biggest heavyweight fight of all time. It is for sure the most interesting. It is for sure the most compelling. It for sure comes with the most at stake here. Where Francis's contract stands and what Francis wants to do within the organization as the champion, whether he wins or he loses, he brings those pressures with him. That story alone is better than any heavyweight story I've ever been told. And that's not, I'm not even starting the story of this fight. Of all of the, the 10 things that Dana has to work with, that is number 10. There are nine things more interesting than that. And I submit for you that no heavyweight fight has ever gone off in this particular situation where the heavyweight champion himself is looking to fulfill a contract and say, adios. The pressure that comes with that alone is more compelling than any other heavyweight fight that we've had. My point being, while I'm trying to stay out of Francis's wheelhouse, I don't know how. Francis is owed something as the heavyweight champion of the world. He's owed people like me talking about him. And we can be nice or we can be in between. Doesn't make a damn bit of difference. We still owe him the airtime. We do. And the same is true for Surreal, particularly when you've got this beautiful record of 15-0. and 0. You got another record on top of that, which is you've never been taken down. That's stunning, by the way. Hasn't been in there with the real big wrestlers, right? The Daniel Cormier's and the uh, Velasquez was a different era. But all the same, he hasn't been taken down. Not one, He didn't even slip. He get knocked down. He's never seen the canvas. It's very interesting. You could talk about who the great fighters are. You could talk about the fastest fighter. You could talk about your favorite fighter. You could have a very meaningful back and forth conversation. You are going to be stuck if the word is most terrifying. It's Francis Ngannou. The scariest fighter. It's Francis Ngannou. So Surreal Gong gets a ton of credit. We owe it to these guys to talk about them. But Francis is starting to make some things public. Look, I encourage him to do it. I would de-courage him to try to get people to stop. 
There is talks that are open about where his contract stands and his relationship and his happiness within the organization. That's compelling. It's also a hell of a lot to have on your shoulders when you're about to walk in there against the undefeated interim heavyweight champion of the world. You want as clear of a head as possible. You hear about guys that are trying to peak. They're trying to rest their body. They're trying to make sure they're ready at the right time physically. You want to do that with your mind as well. If you're carrying baggage around with me, it's hard. You guys ever feel nervous? You ever get nervous or scared? Or maybe you're sad. So maybe something, a tragedy happened in your life, but it's something that you're carrying around with you. Go run the next time that happens to you. You will be shocked how few of steps you get done. You'll be shocked how hard it is to even put those shoes on and do exercise when you're carrying around anything emotional with you and you will be exhausted quickly. I could only surmise, I'm guessing, I'm putting myself in Francis' shoes, but that's the best I can do with any situation I'm going to speak on, right? I could only surmise that he does not have a clear head. I bring that up because it's a, it's a fascinating part of the story. It's not me getting in Francis's wheelhouse. I owe it to Francis to stay in his wheelhouse right now. I owe it to Francis to bring attention to this fight and have a whole bunch of people tune in and watch. History is going to be made. Which is Francis is either going to get one of the hardest bits of work he still has left in the rearview mirror, or Surreal Gone is going to flip the entire script of 2021 and become the champion of the world. Undisputed. It's a very fascinating matchup. Now, what's going on with Francis, and I'm not speaking out of school, he has a manager. And the manager came out and did an interview and he was talking about the fact that, look, I don't really have an open dialogue going on with the UFC right now. We're not really in a negotiation back and forth. Okay, fine. Everybody's got their own thing going on. No problem there. He said, make no mistake, this is not all about the money. Quoting, this negotiation is 1,000% not all about the money. End quote. What could it be about then? I don't ask this to be condescending. I'm not attempting to be funny. There's only a few things that Dana White brings to the table. Unified rules. Do you have a problem with the rules? Dana doesn't do that. The weight class. Do you not think it should be 265? Do you not think it should be scratch weight for championship matches? I'm not trying to be silly right now. I'm not. But there's only so many things. Is it the uniform? Do you not like the uniform? Do you not like the shape? Does octagon bother you and you want to do it in a triangle? I mean, in all fairness, what could it possibly be? Because what Dana White will do is he will provide an opportunity, he will promote, and he will matchmake. I'm done, guys. I'm done. There is nothing else. Do you have a problem with the matches? Do you have a problem with the marketing? I've got to ask these questions because two years ago, the world didn't know what an Ngana was. And now he is the most respected and terrified figure in sports. All of them. He's scarier than Tyson Fury. I mean, right, there's a lot of things that were done really well. And if you disagree with me and you don't think that they were done well, then you also have to offer a counter to my argument, which is where you could go that could do better. That's up to you. That would be none of my business. I would find it interesting and I would listen and I'll come and talk about it, but that is in fact up to you. But sometimes in make-believe land, there's other things that Santa Claus, known as Dana, is supposed to do. 
And Dana's not Santa Claus, and Dana's not your father. He's a promoter who happens to do things by the book, above board, follows through with what he says he's going to do, provides an opportunity for what everybody else swore they wanted to do. He believed you and, and gave you a spot on the roster that somebody else wanted. I mean, in all fairness, there's only, only so many things that he could do. So if it's not about the money, what is it about? And I'm not being a dick about this. I want to know the answer. I'm curious. There's many things that I could really get behind and support. I never loved the idea of a fighter being a whore. Who's got the most money? Whoever's got the most money, that's where I'm going to go. I would encourage you that you're looking at your career wrong. I would encourage you that first and foremost is platform and opportunity for exposure. Take less money for the right platform that's in line with you and your brand and your goals, your potential sponsors, your base, which comes right down to the most simplest of forms, which is your social media. What do they think's cool? And who can get the most eyeballs on you? That's where I would start. And then comes the money, which is a very relevant part. I don't dismiss anybody that wants to discuss it. But there is nothing in all of business that I've ever heard of that is more of a gift than the championship clause. It is not owed to you. It is not part of your contract. It is a gift that because it was given to somebody all the way back in like 2007 was the first time this ever happened. Something like that. I'm very close on that. 2008, 2006 was given to somebody. And he goes, you know what? Give it to every champion. Not every championship match, once you win, once you become the champion, that's his business. I can't even really speak on it. I've just never met a champion who wasn't part of the championship clause. And once you lose it, you go back to the other contract. And sometimes that's really hard for champions. They go, wait a minute, I'm doing the same thing. Why am I not rewarded the same way? Listen, in all fairness, that's a gift in the first place. It's become policy over time, but it was just kindness in the first place. The same thing goes on with the bonuses, guys. I was at the second UFC ever. Fought a guy named Trevor Prangley. We fought at the Hard Rock on a Wednesday. Nobody showed up. It was on a channel, I believe it was on Spike. It might have been on something called Fuel at the time. The sport was still growing. Dana took us into a back room, and one of the guys speaks up and goes, hey, what about bonuses? You've done bonuses before. Can we do it this time? And Dana, Dana grabs a scrap piece of paper and asked around, and somebody had a pencil, and he wrote it all down. And it was $7,500. But you had fight of the night, submission of the night, knockout of the night. He had to write it down. He didn't even know those, ter those terms weren't set into place at this point. Fight of the night, submission of the night, knockout. Fight of the night, F-O-T-N. All the things and the acronyms that we see now that we just expect. I can tell you in 2005, Dana didn't even know what they were, and neither did we, which is why we wrote it down. And Dana, does everybody see this? It was $7,500 for each one. It's worked its way up to 50000 and it's guaranteed no matter what. No matter what show, and they do one a week, $200,000, $800,000 a month. $9.6 million a year off the top of my head. It's going to be given away. Make no mistake when I use that term. It's going to be given away. But the And I think I've won you on that. I think that you do understand, yeah, we, maybe we did take those for granted. And those don't exist other places, and they don't have to exist here. That is a level of generosity. I think that I've won you over on that with that history lesson and that timeline. The championship clause falls into that. That's a gift, and it's a beautiful one. And I personally don't know of anybody that's fought in four championship fights and has ever complained, ever, again, about anything. It's a very beautiful spot, and to be the heavyweight champion in what I'm predicting is going to be the biggest fight ever 
for the heavyweight class. This is a class that had Brock Lesnar in it. I think that Surreal versus Francis is going to go down as the biggest fight ever. And I, I only submit for you, what do we have to discuss? What is it that we're talking about? We're all going to participate. I'm giving you a piece of the night, and I'm not making you write a check to give it. I'm giving it to you, and it's an endless number. It never caps. That's not fair, guys. That's not fair at all. That's generous. That is ridiculously generous. So I only bring to you whatever Francis says going, I'm open about it. This manager is going to teach us all something. I'm open to that too. There was a time I would have come in reserved. I would have closed the book and I said, you're a fool. I'm not there. I've now got an open mind. Made a deal with Francis, told him I'd have an open mind. And I do. Kept that deal. But I think that I am reasonable to ask you if it's not about the money, and we're told, and I quote, it is 1,000% not only about the money. What else is it about? And once we identify that there's only three things that the promoter does, so there's only three things it could be about, we start to narrow it down. Which one are you unpleased with? Reasonable question. And who is it that you see out there that you think can do better? So, at the end of every year, the MMA media loves to hand out all these different awards. So, to close out today's show, I think it's appropriate for Uncle Chael to give his thoughts on the fight of the year. My partner, Ryan, asked me a question. He said, Chael, what do you think is the fight of the year? Now, I was pissed off when he asked the question for one reason. I hosted the World MMA Awards. So, he just added himself that he did not watch me. And my opinion on what the fight of the year is does not matter. Whatever the World MMA Award says is the fight of the year is the answer. At a minimum, we owe them that respect. You bet your ass we do. Our community gets together once a year for an award show, and whoever won it wins it. Now, let me tell you my problem. My problem is, as the host of the show, I was in the back. I cannot remember if they did that. I cannot remember if they had a fighter of the year. Justin Gaethje was there. What is the relevance? The relevance is, if you want to know who I think the fight of the year is, it was Gaethje versus Chandler. I can't guarantee you without going to the use of the internet, which I could have done five seconds ago, but then I would have nothing to talk about. I can't guarantee you they did that. And if they did do it, do they see it the way I do, which was Gaethje versus Chandler? And not to mention, there was a few that were up for that award. I even had a joke in the opening monologue, my favorite fights of the year. You know, who could forget Joe Rogan versus Dr. Fauci? And of course, Dan Hardy versus Herb Dean, right? So uh, here's the thing, though, guys. If you were to look at the fight, Paul Daly had a great one. Many people believe it was Ortega versus Volkanovsky. You got no argument from me. That was something special. However, with that one exception, there was no other fight that was put in the fight of the year candidate that was a five-round fight. They were all three-rounders. And I think that there's a relevance there. It's not very often that you get a classic in a five-round fight, but when you do, boy, does it stand and withstand the tests of time. The reason that I have Gaethje versus Chandler, I am not convinced if that was five rounds we would look at as quite as fondly. Those boys were tired. Now, that will offend them to hear me say that. I was not tired. I was in great shape. You were exhausted, but you should have been exhausted. You didn't manage your energy for 25 minutes, nor should have you. You managed it for 25, which is why we got every punch, every shot, every scramble out of you. 
It's not an insult here. Don't hear it wrong. But yeah, they were exhausted. So then you're just left to guess. Could have they done that another round? Could have they done that another two rounds? By the end of that fight, they were pretty busted up. And in all fairness, I just thought it was the best fight. And that was the best fight of the year. It was amongst the best fights I've seen. I have a short memory on that. I have a very short memory on that. And I'm sure that you guys are guilty of that too. But that fight was very special. And it was special to me because of all the championships and all the paper that came into that contest. Michael Chandler has won everything there is to win except for the UFC title. Justin Gaethje has won everything there is to win, including the UFC title. You want to talk about cross-promotion matches that are only a dream within our sport? You want to talk about super fights? When you're doing that, you're talking about champion versus champion, or you're talking about a champion of this organization versus a champion of this organization. By God, that's exactly what we had. Michael Chandler's won everything you can possibly win. And was a second away, by the way, of the big one. Gaethje's won everything that you can possibly, they put it all on the line. And one thing that I didn't know about Justin Gaethje is that he's an athlete. I thought that bitch was just tough as an old leather boot, and that is where it ends. I did, the most athletic thing I've ever seen Justin Gaethje do inside that octagon is his celebratory backflip off the top of it until he fought Michael Chandler. That is the night when I realized when he was picked up off the ground, he's got no senses, turned his body and hit a leg pass when he came down to the mat. And that was even the moment Michael Chandler broke in that fight. Now, Michael Chandler regained. Generally, when a fighter breaks, he does not come back. He, you won't see, he won't be back for another five months. He's got to go home, hit the showers, take a couple of weeks off, get back in the gym, sign a new contract, prep for I mean, when, when you break, it's very tough. Michael Chandler broke in that moment and then came back. It was amazing. I gained respect for Michael Chandler because I know how frustrating that was for him. I know the exertion of energy. I know the I have you moment. I've got you. And then to have that adrenaline dump reversed in an incredibly athletic display by a guy that you don't know is athletic. It was an amazing content. Every time I talk about that fight, I talk about that goddamn leg pass. I don't talk about the right hand. I don't talk about the interruption. I don't talk about the eye pokes. I don't talk about all of these great... I don't even talk about the outcome. I forget all the time who won that fight. Because it was so awesome. For me, they, both their stock went up, right? How annoying is that when a guy goes, the winner of this fight, you want to know who the winner was the fans. This was just... Man, I don't ever do that crap. And I'm annoyed by people who do. This is the one exception. I forget all the time who won that match. Both guys are more sought after now than they were when they went in. But I remember that position. I remember Justin Gaethje left the ground. He had nothing but Newton's law of physics working against him. He rotated his body. He came between the legs. And the moment he hit the canvas, he hit a leg pass. And Michael Chandler dropped. He was on his knees and he dropped. He put his forehead and his elbows on the mat and goes, my God, what just happened? Chandler regained, which no athlete is good enough to do. Chandler was. No athlete's tough enough to do. No athlete has the grit and the term Chandler did. But Gaethje still hit the hold. So the World MMA Awards, I was in the back. Ryan's busted. He didn't watch it at all. I have my excuse, which I was in the back. I'm assuming this was contested. I'm assuming I'm not the only one. So I'm even assuming that they won it. But whether they did it, they win it from me. Fight of the year? Ryan asked me my question. I'm just answering it for you guys publicly. Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, 
head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review like Kenza, who calls this the Ferrari of Combat Sports Podcast. Well, thank you very much. And thanks to all of you. I'm going to be back on Friday with more. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.